This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. So Frederick just returned from the inaugural sailing, the first 10-night cruise on Norwegian Prima. It was out of Amsterdam up to Copenhagen, and he joins us on the line to talk all about this new ship. How you doing, my friend? Absolutely doing great. And it's such a privilege and an honor to talk to you today, Doug. I mean, a longtime fan and listener. And I just want to thank you so much for all you do for the cruise community. You are awesome. So let's start off with that one. Thank you so much. That is very sweet of you to say. So let's talk about Norwegian Prima here. Uh, I want to get some pre-cruise thoughts before we get to this amazing ship. So let's take a step back. Uh, let's do some pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to sail this inaugural 10 night? Um, are you uh, a big NCL fan? No, we're really not. This is actually only our third. And if you just count nights, we've only been four nights on NCL before. But I was just counting my cruise cards yesterday. And this is a technically cruise number 96. Wow. So nine, six. So, and it's also the 11th since the cruise, cruising restarted. But our first was on Navigator in 2003. And when you get on a line, you sort of stick with it. So we made most of them on, on Royal Caribbean. It was actually our honeymoon cruise. So it's 20 years ago. So it's Easy to remember. Next year is going to be 20 years anniversary. So that's, that's awesome. So we've done pretty much four to six a year. We sailed with a dozen brands. So everything from Disney to Regions to All America to River Cruising, but mostly on Royal. But lately, Oceania and Holland America. So Oceania is amazing for their food. We really love their food offering. And when NCL was promoting Prima, they were talking a lot about their, their food and how they're up the game for food. So that was the reason why we picked it. We want to see, are they closing in on Oceana or they're doing something different? So we were curious. Gotcha. Now you're up in, uh, you're in Sweden. Is, this, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, yeah. cool. So you made your way from Sweden to Amsterdam. And I'm just going to say, uh, I am an, a U.S. citizen who doesn't know a lot about world geography. So is that a big hike to get from uh, Sweden to Amsterdam? Actually, it's not. We got pretty much five daily flights and it's an hour and 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You could actually drive if you have a lot of time, but flying is easier. We usually fly in the day before, but since the ship wasn't going to leave until the day after because of some technical difficulties with the locks, so we opted to going in the same day. So we actually arrived right about lunchtime in Amsterdam, and we just took a, a quick taxi over to the cruise port, which is really conveniently located downtown Amsterdam, and it is a beautiful place to depart. Did Amsterdam have all those those flight issues sorted out by the time you got there? I know when I was there uh, a couple of months ago, there was there was sometimes for people flying domestically within the uh, I guess the EU. I think it was there were um, some people waiting like three and four hours just to get through security. I know, and it's still really a big problem for them. So here's a shocker: this is the first cruise we've only done with carry on. So we're doing a ten night cruise with carry on. Could it be done? Yes. We managed to do it on, on just carry-on. So we didn't check anything. We just brought it with us. So you get to the airport, you make your way to the cruise terminal, and it's time to embark Norwegian Prima. How was the embarkation process? And have you done many cruises from the U.S.? Yeah, we've done cruises from all over, but uh, a lot from the really big terminals in, in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, which mm-hmm. are pretty, pretty nice compared to some of the sort of makeshift terminals that you will find in Europe sometimes, where it's like a tent or yeah. just a building. but. 
this is an okay terminal, but it was still some confusion on, on embarking the ship. So we did wait an hour, I think, before we actually got on the ship. Was the confusion because NCL is relying like heavily on like technology, like digital information you put in before your cruise? And was there glitches there or was it just kind of growing pains being the first one for Prima there? Probably growing pains. I don't think this is something that will continue, but they were checking all uh, vaccination cards and people had it in digital form and paper form. Mm. There was a pretty long line to get through that as well. So gotcha. once we got through the vaccination point, it, it moved quicker as well. So it was not a problem from there. So let's talk all about Prima here. You make your way on board the ship. What were your first impressions of this ship? It's absolutely stunning. I mean, again, we've only sailed with one of the, it's like a divider, I think, in the NCL community. It's called Epic. Some people love it, some people <laughs> right. hate it. We thought it was kind of glitzy, kind of uh, not to our liking, I think. It was in 2015, and I think it pr- pretty much looks the same right now. This is completely different. I think it has a really an upscale vibe to it, the materials, the, the artwork. Everything is really, really now. It's a very modern contemporary ship, and it really shows. Where do you step in when you walk on board Prima? Like their new Breakaway Plus class ships in Breakaway, you're kind of in a random hallway. You know, like other ships like Carnival, you have the Atrium, Royal, you have the Promenade. So where does Prima stand with the embarkation and when you walk on board the ship? I think that probably depends on the terminal itself, because on this terminal, we did step in somewhere kind of, it felt kind of random because they were doing several several entry points into the ship. So we made our way to our um, safety uh, demo thing first because so we were instructed to do that and then we explored the ship. It was kind of confusing because you couldn't really get your bearing when you got into the ship. I'm with you on that one. It's like, where's the, the port side and the starboard side? I'm not sure. I guess in a way, though, it does make sense because like the atrium is always that congestion point. You want to get your first drink so people walk on board and walk right to the atrium bar. Well, thousands of other people are trying to get on board and get drinks, too. So I guess it kind of disperses the crowd. So it does make sense now that I think about it. Yeah. On this 10-night cruise, what kind of stateroom did you have and what did you think about it? And anything cutting edge in these new staterooms? We had a, a balcony stateroom and we actually switched cabins after three days because of some noise issues that we had. Uh-huh. So we're going to talk about where not to be on the ship. But the stateroom was absolutely amazing. It felt larger than the standard would be, especially the bathroom was really, really nice. And I'm fairly tall. So I have a problem that I usually bump my head. I don't know if you have that on like the towel rack. Sometimes you bump into your head. Uh-huh. The towels are to the side, which is like a genius idea. Put the towels on the side. You don't have to, to bump into them or, or the rack itself. So it was, it was fully enclosed. It was glass. It was a really nice bathroom. Good storage, I think. Um, the bed was really good. And also, there was no table in the room. That sort of, I mean, you just jump right into the table. It's in the way. Mm-hmm. So I think just getting rid of the table makes sense. Yeah. Plenty of USB plugs by the bed and vanity and everything? Absolutely. We had both USB and the new C version. We had US plugs. We had European plugs. There was plugs everywhere. So plugs, awesome. no problem with that. And also, the balcony was fairly large. So definitely larger than the one we had on Epic. And also, the uh, furniture were really comfortable. I mean, you could sit in them. You could sort of half sleep in them. So I really love the furniture. And also, the view was really nice from the balcony. Now, no you, obstruction. It, it felt really nice. Nice. Now, you mentioned you moved a couple of days in. So where should you not book on this ship? I think you should really study the deck plan because deck eight is an amazing space. I mean, it's just just fantastic how they do the ocean walk. But there is some restaurants there. And we were right above Los Lobos. 
And I think they had a timer set for 7.30 in the morning where they typed the same music, really nice music, but the same music mm. up until they opened at uh, probably five or six in the afternoon. So it was a constant music. And then we were right above the Sid Norman's Rock House. Mm-hmm. So from 10 until probably midnight, a little bit later, there was just this like really large sound just bumping into the, the stage room. A lot of bass there. So we said, we, we can't do this. We have to move. Gotcha. And I think I'm a light sleeper, so that has yeah. something to do with it. But I would definitely study the deck plan. As soon as you go on, on 10 or 11, that disappears. So yeah. we moved from, from 9 and up until 10, and it was so much better. Gotcha. Now let's talk about the dining on this 10-night cruise. Now one thing the ship does have is a lot of restaurants. So uh, before we actually get to those, I want to ask you, on this 10-night sailing, did you pick any dining perk or did you have any dining packages? We did. With the free at sea, you get two nights, and then there was a special, so we um, opted to do another two nights, and we actually ended up doing six nights in total of specialty restaurants, just because it was so good. So we had six nights of specialty and four nights in the two uh, main dining rooms that they have on board. Okay. Now, in those main dining rooms... um I know Norwegian doesn't really have like the uh, like the set dining times or anything like that. But in the two main dining rooms on board, how was your experience in there? It was absolutely amazing. And also counting that the ship was not full. I mean, I think the ship holds 3,200. I think we were less than 2,000. So that could have something to do with it. But the Hudson's, which is one of the main dining rooms, they have 270 degrees, just, just glass windows. You're all the way at the back. And you're sitting right next to the window, or you have like three tables, and then there's a kitchen. So all the food comes out really piping hot. The service is amazing. I think the space itself is just gorgeous. It's a beautiful space. And I think that rivals some of really, some of the you see on, on regions or Oceania, where they really want to tap their, their dining rooms. This was spectacular, I think. And Norwegian announced a couple of months ago that they were going to set menus where they wouldn't change every night. Do they have the set menus on this sailing or do they rotate the menus out? They do have the set menus, but I, I think it works to our advantage, especially since we did six specialty designing as well. But I always find that when, when you really like some items on the menu and you decide to do a specialty on that night and you're like, ah, oh, why did we choose Tuesday? We should have been here Wednesday because I really like that item. Now you have all the items every single day. Yeah. I mean, the, the menu is fairly large. So I, I mean, for four nights, I don't think you're going to be bored. If it were like a two or three week sailing and you only do the main dining room, I could see some issues there. But for four nights, it's not a problem itself. And gotcha. the, the food was definitely elevated. I mean, we had some sushi that was like, okay, why are they even charging at a specialty restaurant for this? Because this is really good sushi. Nice. Now, how about the buffet area on board? Well, that would be one of the negatives on board because when they decided to have so much complimentary spaces, they drastically reduced the buffet. So it's virtually non-existent. And even on our cruise, when we were just 2,000 people, it was completely packed. So we, I think we ended up just being in the buffet like once or twice during the entire sailing because it's so cramped. I'm not sure what they're going to do when they come to the Caribbean and people are actually outside because considering it was fairly cold, people didn't really spend that much time on the top deck. But mm. wow, it's really small, the buffet. Now, is that, do they have something called, uh, is it the food hall they have on that? That is the upside of the ship. It's the indulged food hall. Okay. And it's located on the ocean walk on deck eight. And it's an amazing place. But people didn't really seem to find it that much. And it's also a bit complicated because there's one version for breakfast. And there is a menu for lunch and a different menu for dinner. 
So you're not really, I mean, it takes a couple of days to understand what, what you're doing. But basically, you have nine for free and two uh, for fee uh, restaurants. Uh, that would be Starbucks and Cocos that are not complimentary, but all the others are complimentary. So you sit down, they have iPads on the table, you have nice pictures. You probably switch language if you want as well. I didn't do that, but you could probably do that. And you just click whatever you want, and it just they bring it out to you. So you want some guacamole and some chips, and then you want some tapas, and then you want some rotisserie chicken. Well, you can have it all. They will just bring it to you. I think it was absolutely amazing and a really great alternative to, to a buffet. Now, why do you think people were drawn to the buffet and not the food hall if both of the options were basically, well, the buffet is complimentary, included in the price of your cruise, and it sounds like most of the food hall is too. Well, I think, it, I think it's habit, and people know that the buffet is included, and people were kind of curious, and I saw some people walk in and go like, oh, man, we, we, yeah. And I think also Coco's, which is like the, the only four-fee restaurant, it's the first one you sort of see, mm-hmm. and you see prices, and then people think like, oh, no, we're going to go back to the buffet. So I think it's a, they have to educate people a bit more, but when people find out the restaurant, even at dinner at one of the places you had tenderloins and steak and some really nice pieces of meat, and it's, it's complimentary. It's kind of done like, uh, I forgot what the restaurant's called, but there's iPads there. It's all technology-based, right? You just kind of point and click what you want on the iPad? Yes, okay. that, that's what you do. And um, that, that might be a deterrent for some people. Yeah. And also you can sit outside, but outside there's no iPads. You have to like flag a server and they have pen and paper. So it's, I think they have some teething issues. But the food was good. And the tandoori place had real tandoori ovens where they made really good naan bread and some really nice chicken as well. So I would say the food really delivers on that place. Yeah, I remember when Celebrity Cruises debuted their cuisine restaurant on their Solstice class ships. And the iPads deterred a lot of people because it was back like in 2010 where there wasn't a lot of iPads floating around. And people were kind of intimidated. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not touching the iPads, blah, blah, blah. It's just funny how technology sometimes deters people from going to certain places. But it's also, I mean, they make it a bit overcomplicated because you have some iPads set up at this specific station, like the the Indian place. But from there, you can only order the Indian food. So you have to find a place that is not technically at the Indian station to get the Indian food and some other things. So I think it's a bit complicated for, for most people, but people will catch on and it's a great place. Yeah. And hopefully they'll, kink, they'll work those kinks out over, over time too, once yeah. they see the flow and everything. So how about the, you said you had um, six specialty dining nights. Let's talk about those restaurants. We'll just start with the first one and just kind of go down the list here. So we did the classic end sale ones, which is Cagney's and Le Bistro. Mm -hmm. And um, Le Bistro is a very, very designed place. They have big chandeliers that are actually attached from the floor and up. So it looks kind of weird when you come in, but when you sit down, it is gorgeous. It is a really nice space. And they had some amazing food at Le Bistro. I think that was one of the highlights on board the ship. And Cagney's is a steakhouse. I mean, you pretty much get what, what, you, what you ordered. It was nothing spectacular about that meal, but it, it was a good, solid meal. We did the hasuki, which is a teppanyaki. Again, very much uh, what you would expect from a teppan place. It is loud. It's busy. It's fun. People are screaming a lot, and we have some really amazing uh, tenderloin at that place. I mean, it's so succulent when it comes off the grill, so we like that one. But I think the standout would be the new uh, Mediterranean kind of Greek seafood-forward restaurant called Palomar. It's also on top deck, so you have this amazing view with floor-to-ceiling windows all the way through, 
and it's a really, really nice menu. So if you love seafood or if they have meat options as well, I think that is something that I would highly recommend. And also Onda by Scarpetta, which is to take on Italian food, was really nice. That was booked solid the entire cruise. And I think people really love the food at Onda. And I think the last one we did was Food Republic. That also had iPads. Mm-hmm. And it felt kind of strange because even though the food was really good and it's a really good location, I'm just thinking it's pretty much what we could get for free at Indulge. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not that different. You have the iPad, but you're getting charged. Mm-hmm. So I foresee that that's something they're going to take out in the future and expand the buffet since it's right next to the buffet. They could easily just turn that into a huge buffet area. So I think that's going to go. That's my take. So two nights were included in the price. Two nights were part of the package. What two nights did you pay out of pocket for? And was it a la carte pricing or was it a package deal like a fifty nine ninety nine or something for the for the experience? I think it was 49 and we opted to do the teppanyaki hatsuki because that is 49. Mm-hmm. And literally at the other restaurants, the main course could be 45 or 47. So it mm-hmm. made absolute sense to do the dining package at the a la carte restaurant. For the Food Republic, we also just went a la carte and just picked a couple of items on the menu. And I think we didn't end up spending probably like around $30 per person or something like that. So it made more sense to do it a la carte. Gotcha. But it is it is kind of confusing if you're not really, I mean, we haven't traveled that much with NCL and you see all the prices and you're thinking, so what can I order? Like one of those? So, But they do a really good job of explaining it and helping you. And, and they're so accommodating. I mean, they're, they, the staff is absolutely wonderful when it comes to taking care of you. So that was not a problem. Any free bites, kind of like Royal Caribbean has, like Sorrento's and the uh, Cafe Promenade, anything like that on board the ship? Well, right next to the buffet, there is a uh, like burgers and, and the hot dogs and that kind of stuff, more like a, a pool grill kind of thing. So we just went past that. But I would say the local is a really nice place because local serves, it's also complimentary. They serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's a really nice menu, and they had some of the best fish and chip sandwiches I've had in a really long time with a really nice, fresh-caught cod, and it was just really good. So I would say uh, I'd give it to the local. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big Sorrento's fan. I think their pizza is probably not the best I've mm-hmm. had, but uh, <laughs> I think it probably had better pizza at uh, at the Prima, actually, because it was more like a focaccia kind of, more like a bread, but still very, very yummy. So I'd give it to them. Now, the the pizza area on board Prima, was that in the buffet area or was that like in the, the food court? Um, uh, what was it called? The place where like nine places in one. <laughs> yeah, the indulged. No, yeah. unfortunately, it's, a, it's at the, at, at the uh, buffet. And I think they will they will have to change that as well because uh, it's so popular to get the pizza. And it's, it was such a cramped area. It was difficult to get in and out. So they will probably have to change that down the line. But um the pizza was good. I would recommend the pizza, though. Yeah. Did it seem like when you're in the dining areas or even the bars or whatever, did it seem like there were enough staff members and there were enough to take care of you and keep it flowing at a decent pace? I would say so. I mean, it's the first sailing. This was the absolute first sailing with revenue uh, guests. And, of course, uh, the previous sailing, no one paid for anything. I mean, it was yeah. just a celebrity shakedown cruise with Katy Perry. So, of course, some issues occurred with, the, like, payments or the receipts and, or anything, but... It was just minor things. I mean, they sorted everything out very, very quickly. So we didn't see any service problems whatsoever. And they were just trying to help out as much as possible. Let's talk about the entertainment on this 10-night cruise. Um, Any big stage shows or anything? And what did you think of the entertainment overall? Entertainment is 
is really good. They do the Donna Summer musical. And after the Donna Summer musical, which is sort of like the, I mean, it's a jukebox musical kind of thing and tells loosely the story of her life. I think it's an 80 minute show. They sort of rearranged the entire stage and they do a Studio 54 disco club. I think that was awesome how they could just push all the seating away and just make it into a big nightclub. That was good. One night they did The Price is Right, and it's almost like a taping of The Price is Right. So it's not watching it on TV. It's actually being as a live studio audience. And audience members came up on stage and competed for prizes. They had the big reel. They had everything. It was really well done. And then we had the the magician, the violinist, and some American Idol singer I never heard of. So the usual. The problem is that the space is fairly small. I would say on a full shift, it's not, I mean, you have to book early to be able to see anything. And that goes for the other entertainment as well. Both the comedy and also the rock club are in such small spaces that most people are being turned away because there's no, there's no seating whatsoever. It's also really strange if you have a small comedy club and there's pillars everywhere. So people can actually see, I mean, half the Space was taken up by pillars, I felt. So really strange to sign on the entertainment spaces. Does this ship have the brew house? No brew house. No. Okay, gotcha. And then how about the barbecue restaurant? Was Q on there? Well, Q is part of it. They call it the smokehouse, but it's part of the indulge. Okay, So gotcha. they sort of merged it into that space. So you have like the smokehouse, you have a rotisserie where they do rotisserie. You have a Latin quarter, you have a soup and salad station, the Indian the tapas and a noodle place. All those are in the indulge area. So gotcha. sort of, it's mixed in there. Okay. Now, how about the uh, sea days as far as crowds and congestion? Now, I know you said you weren't at full capacity, but like space around the pool, how is that area, the, the go-kart area, and any kind of spaces you may have wandered during the sea days? First of all, go-kart was awesome. First time doing go-kart on a ship, yes. even though the, the I mean, the go-karts itself doesn't go that fast. It's really a game of how many can you pass. And mm-hmm. I think we passed seven or eight cars. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking that's a, that's a good score. <laughs> we'll try better next time. But it wasn't so cramped. I mean, there is a lot of space for people to walk around, especially on Decade. Again, the Ocean Walk, where they have the sculpture garden. You have different pools, infinity pools. You have, you know, the slides, the dry slides that we did not try. And we also have the wet slides that I did try. I'm not sure about the dry slides, though, because they, they make a lot of sound and they go through people's balconies. <sighs> and when they come out, people are not that thrilled about it because it's so slow. Yeah. I mean, it's not fast enough. So I saw people almost not to the point getting stuck, but they had to drag them out because they were like getting getting sort of stuck into the tube, but not really. So, I mean, I, there was a lot of a lot of space for everyone, but the top deck itself was what would be considered the main pool deck. That is very small. Mm-hmm. But again, the Caribbean, you have to go down to eight. You cannot be on top because it's going to be it's going to be crowded up there. Yeah. But now with almost no sunshine and kind of windy September in northern Europe, not really an issue. Yeah. So then there's a couple of pool spaces. Then there's one on the, on the back of the ship and midship. There's a lot of pool spaces because, of course, Haven, which mm-hmm. we did not fail well, in, they yeah. have their own pool space. And then there's a Vibe Beach Club, which you pay extra to get in. And they also have pools. And then on deck eight and on top deck. So there's like there's pretty much pools in different different spaces, but mm-hmm. you have to find them. You have to walk around. So 
Gotcha. It's different. I mean, yeah. they're really trying to do something different. I think that's what I really appreciate, that there's, it's not a carbon copy of every other cruise ship. It's really, it feels different when you get on board the ship. Yeah, no, for sure. Let's talk about the ports of call you had on this 10-night cruise. And just give us the first port of call and a highlight, and we'll go to the next one. We will. And I must say that we've been to all the ports before, and mm-hmm. we did not pick the sailing because of the ports. So we pretty much um, uh, took it kind of easy. But the first one was Kiel, which is an industrial port. And the only point of going is getting the train or bus to Hamburg. But since our late arrival, we only had four hours in Kiel. Most people stayed on board. We took a sh- short stroll and that was it. I mean, I've been many times before to Kiel and uh, uh, not that exciting. The second port was Warneminde, which is close to Rostock in, in Germany, and that is the gateway to Berlin. So I would say a lot of our fellow guests, they took the charter train or the buses and they went to Berlin for the day. And um, we opted to stay in the Warneminde and Rostock and met up with some friends we know there. So we had a great time anyway. But for first-time cruises, I would absolutely go to Berlin, even though it's a fairly long hike to go to Berlin. Uh, then it was Helsinki in Finland, the capital of Finland. It's a beautiful place. It's one of um, my favorite cities. And um, we did some shopping. We walked around. We had some lunch at a very, very nice restaurant, which is really cool. And then it was off to Tallinn, which is in Estonia. And we went to the, we went to the KGB Museum. I mean, in, in former Soviet times, they were, of course, spying on their guests. So yeah. technically, the hotel didn't have the top floor. So when people asked, they said, well, there's nothing up there. But there was their entire spy central. So you can visit that. It's a museum. It's kind of crazy, all the things that they, they try to do in spying on all the international guests. I would recommend that. It's a, it, it was a fun place. And then uh, it was Nineshamn, which is the um, industrial port to Stockholm. So it's a good 30 minutes into Stockholm. So we opted to, again, stay uh, in Nineshamn and stay on board the ship because, of course, we've been to Stockholm hundreds of times. And the final stop was Visby, Gotland, which is a lot of people were kind of surprised because it's a medieval town. It's a walled city. It's a very pretty place. And even though tourist season is over and it was very light crowds, it's still a very beautiful place if you want to take pictures and and post them somewhere. It's it's a really it's a great experience to just walk around Visby. So a lot of people thought that was the highlight of the trip, and probably our highlight as well. So, yeah, sure. so those were the stops, and then we had three sea days tucked in between there. So I think it's a it was a fairly fairly okay, just considering we wanted to see the ship. So I mean, we did leave the ship sometimes just to to walk around and then go back on again. How far do you live from Stockholm back home? I mean, if you drive, it's probably four and a half hour drive. It's the plane is 40 minutes and gotcha. the, the, we have high speed trains that is like three hours mm. from city to city is three hours. So it's, it's not that far. I, I always find it interesting when you're doing cruises, I kind of get a little close to your home. I, I know like when I sail out of New York city and do Caribbean, um, I'm down here in Florida. So I'm like an hour and a half from Orlando and that's one of the ports of call. So like you leave New York, you're at sea for a day, then you home port at, uh, Port Canaveral, the place for Orlando. I'm like, I could go home and come back for the amount of time we're here because we're here for like 12 hours. So I was just curious how far you live from uh, yeah. Stockholm since you're in, you're in Sweden there. Very cool. Well, let's talk about debarkation. It is uh, day number 10. It's time to get off the ship and debark. How was it getting off in Copenhagen? It was super easy. I mean, as, as when well, the ship was cleared because it took them some time to clear the ship and that was the local authorities. But when they got the final 
let's leave. You could just pick up your stuff and just go through. And we just took a taxi and it was literally a two minute thing. So we're in our taxi on our way to the train station. And actually, since we flew to Amsterdam, we opted to take the train from Copenhagen and back home again, which was like a three hour train ride. So we got home pretty much by lunchtime. So it was not a problem. Are there any kind of custom things you have to do? Um, or is it because you're all within the EU, there's really no reason to clear customs or anything like that? So since we started in the EU, we never left the EU. There's like no immigration, no customs. Everything is just walk off. You could just mm. do whatever you want to. We, I mean, we haven't left the union yet, so it's, it's not a problem. Gotcha. It has some some perks and some disadvantages. Uh, since we're not leaving the EU, technically the shops cannot sell duty-free. So they would stick on the, the sales tax or the VAT on all the items. They have to. So I think that's a tip for, for any cruiser doing a Mediterranean or a Scandinavian cruise is pick one that has either Norway, which is not part, UK, or even in the Mediterranean, if you go to Kusadasi, which is in Turkey, then that entire sailing will be tax-free, duty-free, and they can sell anything in the stores So uh, without taxes. So, of course, you can buy any liquor on board, you can buy any cigarettes, you can buy any of those duty-free items. So... Look for those when you when you pick a cruise. Yeah, I, I always buy a ship model every sailing, and I did a med cruise in June, and I forgot all about that that we weren't leaving the EU because it was all um, it was all Western med, and so I go to the gift shop to buy the ship model, and it's like twenty percent more, and I'm like, I thought it said it was mm-hmm. thirty nine or forty nine, whatever it was. You're like, oh, we have to add the VAT tax. I'm like, ah. Well, imagine being there on picking out some nice jewelry for, yeah. for your wife, and it says $35,000, and you're like, okay, and there's a sales tax on that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did no, the, you better not. <laughs> does the EU, uh, some of the EU airports, or I, I recall something like in London years ago when I was there, where you can get a refund on tax. Is that a thing? Like at the airport? It is a thing, but it's, it's a hassle, and I mean, some countries allow it, some countries do not allow it. It's it's not always a straightforward process anyway. And you want to buy really expensive gifts to get that deducted as well. So not not something that you do on a ship model, I think. Yeah. And plus with uh, with <laughs> England withdrawing uh, with Brexit, you're not getting it anymore at the uh, Heathrow Airport either because I tried. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. We stopped that a couple years ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. I forgot about that. Let's talk about the, uh, the first time tips you may have. Sounds like that shopping one is a good one. But any other ones for sailing Prima? I would say pre-book entertainment. When we uh, booked the cruise, we couldn't do anything online. But actually, right after the uh, safety briefing, I ran over and filled out every single show. And I'm so happy that I did that because it got fully booked the same day. So just pre-book as much entertainment. You want to do the go-karts, everything, the first thing you get on board the ship. Also, uh, try avoid the buffet. And if you want to go, go later in the cruise when people have found out that Indulge is an amazing place. So you want to stick with the Indulge, the um, food hall thing for the first couple of dates before they find that. And also check the deck plans. If there is there's an area where there's a lot of noise, there will be because there's a lot of outdoor spaces. So um, I would look for another cabin if you're a light sleeper. You don't want to be too close to all the stuff and a final one would be get the deluxe drink package because we did that literally the week before we weren't going to do it because the uh, general drink package was included in the price but we upgraded for 29 dollars, and it was absolutely amazing they had whiskeys at the whiskey bar that was 65 dollars, and like you do want to double and it was included in the package 
different champagnes. I mean, Vieux Picot or Rosé is $35 plus fortuities, 20% included. And you've got all the Starbucks, you got, I mean, everything. So I would say just buy that as soon as possible as well. I, I would do that again. A couple of things I forgot to ask you during the interview here. Um, I know Norwegian has different types of, I guess, protocols, we'll call it, for the casino. Some of them have smoking areas. Some of them have only non-smoking areas. You can smoke in the rest of the casino. How is this one laid out? We didn't see any smoking in the casino at all. I think there is like a high rollers room, and I believe there is a smoking room. I didn't actually see one, anyone smoking in there, but I suspect they would have a smoking room. But in the entire big casino, there was no smoke whatsoever, and no one was smoking. There is a cigar bar that is located right next to uh, one of the, the bars on board where you can go in and smoke. But that was pretty much the only place where you could smoke on board. And how fast was the Wi-Fi on board, the speeds? That was very slow. And I think that has a lot to do with being in Northern Europe and probably how the satellites work. And, and probably that was, because we've experienced that before, that in the Caribbean it's awesome. And then you go to Northern Europe and it's just, it's just really bad. So it could have do with the geolocation kind of thing. How much on the app is the experience? I think the app worked really well. And they had a function that I really liked was, was the virtual queue where you can actually sign up if you want to go to get services. You had a virtual queue place, you like like your number three, number two, now you're up, so you don't have to like stand in the long line. And same with the shows as well. You could clear the queue. I mean, if you were like number two or number five or something, you would get into the show. So um, I think the, the app worked uh, very well, and it was updated with all the purchases and everything. But they still had all the, the paper in your cabin, and you got all the... the uh, uh, freestyle dailies, that's their called. So you get those on paper as well. So, and they they pretty much were accurate as well. The paper and the and the electronic version, because sometimes that's an issue in itself. That is, what you get on paper is not the same as the one you mm-hmm. have in your app. Yeah, no, for sure. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for y'all? I think all of the food and wine pairings that we did, all the uh, amazing sommeliers that uh, recommended some really, really good, good wines that we had. And um, so we were fortunate enough to have that package and, and drinking wine that is, again, costing like 30 bucks a glass and just having a couple of those. That was really nice. So I, I enjoyed the, the, the food and the wine experience. And your final thoughts of Norwegian Prima. I'm not sure I would be back just for the only reason that we only had less than 20 kids on board. And this is designed to be in a warmer place with a lot more people. So I don't think it would feel the same way as we did when it's a colder climate and less people on board. I would like to do the Viva, which is the second ship coming out, probably when it's coming out in Europe. But I think we're going to stay with the smaller ships and the Norwegian family. So gotcha. we'll, we'll try those. All right. Fair we're not going to go bigger. Gotcha. We've been talking with Frederick about his 10-night cruise, the inaugural sailing on Norwegian Prima from Amsterdam up to Copenhagen. Thank you so much for sharing this review. It's very insightful, and it's making me excited to sail this ship in a couple of months once it gets here to the Caribbean. Have a great, great, great cruise, Doug. Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. 
How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.